Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to the Independent Spouse Podcast. I'm Jess Sands, founder of the Independent Spouse and current military wife running my own business, Design Jessica, from our Marie Quarter. Each week, I'll be bringing you inspiring interviews that go behind the scenes of an amazing business, charity or project created by someone also living the military life. Today, I've been talking to Joe Milmine from Shiny Bees. Joe is a former RAF Aerospace Battle Manager who turned her love of knitting into a multi-award winning podcast series. Since August 2012, Joe has hosted the Shiny Bees podcast, a show about knitting and yarn mixed with a little bit of Joe's life and an awful lot of comedy goodness. Originally started as a hobby to fill her time during a posting to Africa, Jo went on to build a location-independent business that moved wherever she was posted. She now records podcasts whilst travelling the world, and Shiny Bees was awarded Best UK Podcast of 2016 at the New Media Europe Awards and Most Engaged Audience of 2015 at the UK Podcast Awards. Jo also works as an online business strategist, helping creators plan their businesses. And so this episode is jam-packed with handy business tips, even if you've never picked up some knitting needles. I love chatting to Jo. She is funny, informative and so very inspiring. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jo Milmine from Shiny Bees. Hello Jo, thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. It's lovely to meet you. Oh, thank you Jess. Thanks for inviting me onto your show. I'm very excited. Not a problem. Um, firstly, Shiny Bees is fab. To be honest, I am not a knitter. Um, but for those who might not have heard of you that are interested, please could you tell us a little bit about what you're up to? So Shiny Bees was a nickname that my Scottish granny gave me. And I spent a lot of time at my granny's when I was younger and she was the person that taught me how to knit. And Shiny Bees, I don't think is a real word anywhere in any dictionary. Um, but she always called me that. And at the point where I started my blog back in 2011, after leaving the Air Force, I needed a name for it. And at that point, kind of quite cutesy names were very on vogue. And I was like, well, it makes sense to call it Shiny Bees because that's what my granny called me. That was her nickname for me. And the URL's available, happy days. (laughs) And uh, it seems like quite fitting to call it that. And it was a blog that I started about knitting of all things. And I got back into knitting because I was pregnant and, you know, all of the stereotypes. And I thought, I'm going to knit some stuff for like this baby. And I'd started to go online and look for tutorials, go on YouTube, all that kind of good stuff. And um, I decided that I would write a blog and chronicle all of the things that I'd done whilst I was learning how to knit again. And whilst I was learning that, because it's something that you can't watch things whilst you do, when you first start knitting, you really do need to concentrate quite hard. And even though I'd done it before, I was having to concentrate quite hard because it had been quite a long time. And I started to listen to podcasts. And this was back in the day when they weren't, so back in the day, it wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, 2011. But in internet years, that's pretty much half a century because I think that internet years are like dog years. You know, they last for seven years, a real internet year will last for seven years equivalency. And um, I'd started listening to this one particular podcast called I Make, which was done by a lady called Martine in Guernsey. And I was listening to that whilst I was making all these Christmas presents, doing that whole kind of good housewife thing that you get into randomly when you're a little bit crafty and you've got a bit of spare time on your hands. Uh, We were at Valley at the time, so you can see why I needed something to occupy my time. And um, basically I was listening to these podcasts and I thought, you know what, I could do that. 
I could do a podcast that would be, you know, I, I can't be that hard, right? I've got loads of stuff to talk about. And that idea was kind of parked for a little while and I carried on with my blog. And then the year after we moved to South Africa, to Limpopo province, which is pretty much wild at heart country. And I was still doing my knitting and I'd met lots of people online through a platform called Ravelry, which is basically Facebook for knitters. And it's a big database of patterns and yarns and people and groups. And there's like six or seven million people on there now. And wherever I went, I would find a knitting group and go along and make friends that way because it was just something different from kind of the goldfish bowl of the patch and, you know, staying within that community can feel a little bit claustrophobic. And um, I was in Limpopo and it was like, even in winter, it's 25 degrees during the day. So it's not exactly knitting weather, but I wanted to find a way to keep in touch with um, like my knitting community and everything else. So I randomly started this podcast called Shiny Bees and initially it was talking about my life in Africa and what I was making and funny stories and things. And it just kind of developed from there. It was never a a strategic decision like a podcast might be these days. It was just a, oh, I fancy a crack at that. So I did it and I recorded something with this microphone that had been sent from Cape Town, which took two weeks to arrive because the distance between where we live in Cape Town is about the same as the distance between London and Gibraltar. And the postal system isn't quite as sophisticated as uh, Royal Mail, put it that way, and recorded this episode and put it out into the world. And it sort of grew from there, really, and became a multi-award winning podcast with listeners all over the world. And I've grown two and business is off the back of it and I'm about to build a couple of new things to go along with it. And it's been a really big sort of learning adventure from something that was just an experiment to start with, really. And you, um, so you were posted in South Africa. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, my husband was on exchange. Brilliant. So obviously... um that would have been quite a challenge to build a business and to, you know, um, live in that sort of environment where, you know, you talked about the postal system being really, really difficult and trying to start something from that. But what the question that I'm actually trying to ask is that you were there in a posting, but before that you were an RAF um, aerospace battle manager. Mm-hmm. So you've moved from that into an award-winning knitting podcaster. So it's a bit of a leap for my brain to try and... <laughs> to try and work it out um and you've recorded like over 120 episodes am I right in thinking that yeah yeah so how do you go from being an aerospace battle manager to you know so was it the posting that sort of prompted you to to move into that and start your own business or was it because you just needed something to do while you were posted when we first moved to Valley I went and got an ordinary job and it was a job that I really didn't see as being a problem that I thought it would be really great. And I didn't enjoy the work. I got really frustrated with people. There was a lot of kind of snidey stuff going on and I won't mention any more details beyond that because I don't obviously want to be negative about it. But there was a lot of things uh, culturally within that organisation that I really didn't agree with. And subsequently, like two years down the line, they did get done for corruption. Um, But I only literally stayed there six weeks. So I was just like, I don't want to be involved in this. So I left that job and that was like my first job after leaving the military. And we're in North Wales. um, where it's really difficult to get what you might consider to be an inverted commas proper job um, if you don't speak Welsh. Um, A lot of the adverts for for schools, for um, the council, things like that, are written in Welsh. And if you can't read Welsh, then you can't apply because you've got to be bilingual, which is fine. Like I get that's a language requirement, but that precludes you from a lot of jobs. There aren't a lot of jobs there anyway. And a lot of the jobs that really I should have been looking at as an ex-officer 
just weren't available to me because of my lack of command of the Welsh language. And I had a PGC at this point as well. So I had qualifications, I had leadership and management qualifications, I had all that good stuff, um, but none of it made any difference because I didn't speak Welsh. Um, And the nearest place that I could go and work was Chester and I was not up for an hour and a half commute every day. Like I was just not, that's not why we, I left the military because I left the military because I got married to my husband and co-location was 180 miles quite apparently. And we were never going to be in the same place. I was an ABM, he was a pilot, like we were never going to be in the same place. And I just didn't want things to go the same way that I was seeing with a lot of my friends where they were married for like two or three years and then got, ended up divorced and back in the mess at 30. And I, I just didn't want that. You know, like I was just like, I'm going to have to make a decision. So we moved from there to Valley. I hated Valley. So we left and went to South Africa on an adventure, um, which was amazing. It was, you know, I had this young baby by this point and we were off on this adventure in Africa and it was really good fun. And the podcast was just a way of, of doing something. It's just something I wanted to explore. I fancied a crack at it. It, was, it wasn't a plan. I wasn't going to start a blog and have a business. I wasn't even going to have a business. I was going to get a real job when I got back home maybe. And um, the more I got into it, you know, things just developed in a very organic manner. And every night we used to take um, the beast, as I refer to her, um, she's still a beast, she's seven, nearly eight now, um, in that mad hour where they get really grumpy between kind of like half four and six, where they're just hating life. And it's a witching hour. Everyone who's got kids will know this witching hour. So because we were in a really sunny place, we would take advantage and we'd just take her out for an hour in the pram because she wouldn't be annoyed then. By the time she got back, we could just put her in bed and it was done. And during these walks, we would have these like big kind of world domination conversations about, you know, all daydreaming about these things we could do and everything else. And one of those conversations involved knitting yarn. Well, many of them did, right? But this particular one and my husband, much as it annoys me that I have to admit it was his idea because it was, um, he said, why don't you do like Virgin Wine Club, but for knitting? And I was like, oh, there might be something in that. I mean, I like wine and I like knitting. Um, And it wasn't shipping wine with the wool, but it was trying new yarns that you maybe you've not tried before. And through the the podcast and the conversations I was having with people and the, the research I was doing, because I was really involved in this world, this online world of making things and meeting people. And I was like, I know all these really great people and I know all these really great makers. And what if I could find a way to bring them together? And that would be really cool. So that's what I did. So I didn't start the business when I was still in Africa because it wasn't going to work because I was in Africa. But as soon as I came back from there, I actually paired up with a lady in London called Kate that I had met through Martine, skipping back to the person who introduced me to podcasting on one of my very first times um, online, looking up an answer to a question for a pattern that had been badly written. And I, I wrote to, to my new friend in the internet, Martine. I was like, Martine, my, my friend Kay, who was an area photographer keeping in, in track with where everyone is, is stuck on this pattern. Can you have a look at it? Can you help? And Martine couldn't understand it. It was a Serdar pattern. If you're a knitter, you'll understand why you can't always understand those. And she sent it to her friend, Kate, who came back with an answer for my friend, Kate. Two and a half years down the line, me and Kate end up starting this business together <laughs> because I sent her my idea. I said, what do you think of this idea? And she said, you know, I would, I would love to be involved in that. Like if you're looking for a partner, let's do it together. So that's what we did. And uh, we teamed up on my first kind of proper business out of the podcast, which was um, called The Golden Skein. It was a subscription yarn club. And we would send out these mystery packets of yarn that we'd gone and commissioned from different hand dyers to all of these subscribers all over the world. And again, very organic process. It wasn't, you know, an idea that led into the podcast. It just kind of came came about as a 
random conversation. And um, that's how I ended up starting a business. And I think had I been in places, um, bringing it back to like information for your audience, had I been in places where it was really easy to go and get a proper job or continue my career or pursue another career that I wanted to pursue easily, then I probably would have gone and done that because that's what I've always done. And I knew that I could go and get into something new and I could start working on it. And I was confident that I could build whatever I wanted afterwards. I wasn't worried about like losing where I was or who I was or anything on leaving the military. But because I've been put into this situation where that wasn't possible for me because when we left Africa, we went to Coningsby, Lucas, then Lossie. Then I've moved another two times since then. I'm moving again. He's no longer in the military, but we have moved a lot. It really just wasn't possible for me when you were on a pause for six months to get any kind of like network and get a job and get settled in anything because you know you're moving. So had I not been in that situation, I wouldn't have pursued self-employment necessarily. I would have probably carried on doing it as as a hobby. But because of those circumstances, I was like, well, what can I do? How can I do what I want to do? Circumstances drove it rather than me deciding I was going to become Alan Sugar upon leaving the Bulma. So it was more a case of looking at what, what is available to me and how to turn what is a tricky situation to my advantage. So it was kind of um, because of the situation that you chose to do this. Do you think if there was a bit more support or a bit more information for spouses available, that that would make you, that that would have allowed you to come to the decision quicker? Or do you think that actually it's just the individual and that people just sort of you know, choose their route and follow that best. It's difficult to say. I wouldn't like to kind of put one idea forward to everyone. And there is, you know, support out there, both within the kind of forces community. And it has been a lot more in recent times, um, particularly since LIBOR funding, like not getting too political, but now there's this part of money available, more things are becoming available for people. It has seemed to me. Whereas before that, I don't know whether there was as much there, but there definitely was within the wider community, things like Business Gateway in Scotland, where you can go and you can get training, get support, get help. You decide you want to do that. Entrepreneurship isn't an easy choice anyway, like in terms of what you want to go and do, but it does afford you a massive amount of flexibility. So I can always choose to clear my diary for nativity plays. I don't know why I would choose to do that, but I can choose to do that. Um, my little boy has a lot of hospital appointments now, so I'm really lucky that I don't go and have to ask a boss. Can I go take him to his hospital appointments? I just do it. You know, it gives us a lot of flexibility, but it isn't that easy. But I think regardless of all of that, even if you are comfortable in running your own business and you've got the support there, you definitely need, whether you're military or, or a military family or not, that support network around you. Because when you're working on your own a lot, it is really isolating and you can get into this kind of feedback loop of, well, we know the questions and ideas in your mind all the time and you've no one to go and say, oh mate, what do you think about this? Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? In that kind of crew room way that you would in the military or in you know an office, you go to the water cooler, I guess, and you know, bounce these ideas around. And when I was at Lossie, we did um, set up, I did set up this little, um, just a business support group. It was just a lot of um, the wives who were running their own business, whether they were VAs or they were working from home. One was an illustrator, one worked in branding. And we would just get together once every couple of weeks or once a month and just sit down in a cafe or at someone's house and just chat over like business stuff and ideas and things. And that was a massive help. And I feel like if the military could do one thing to support business owners 
within their community it would be to have some kind of place or hub on the station where people can come and co-work and just sit down get a brew use the internet be around other people and run their businesses from there and even that as a minimum would make a massive difference yeah it would make such a difference i was speaking to sarah stone in one of the other episodes who has started a co-working hub in lucas and she's having you know, she's getting some great support from the army up there and from local business. And it's a really good hub where everybody goes. And you're right, it is quite a lonely existence when you're working from home. But actually, if you could have a hub, stand around a water cooler and have a chat about your ideas and have a chat about business, it would really help things grow. But obviously, um, it's quite a, it's a lonely existence running your own business, but it's also a really busy one. I have the problem where, you know, I'm passionate about the podcast series. I'm passionate about my designing. Um, but then I also throw this crazy military life on top and it keeps me very busy. Um, how have you found time to run your own business and add family life on top of it? Um, and have you got any tips? Um, it is tricky. Like, let's not pretend it's it's not. It is hard. Even just having this lifestyle anyway is more challenging than it is for your average person. There's no two ways about it. And I've just ha- found that ways to get around that is number one, my biggest lesson is don't just carry on kicking the backside out of it because you think that if you're going to just, if, if you want to get there, you just need to work harder and harder and harder because that is a very military mindset and we all do it. But I find that that has worked to my detriment, particularly since having and throwing the children in the mix and everything else, you can very easily run yourself into the ground. So I'd say my, my first tip is um, be very realistic about what you can and can't achieve and being Ambitious is very good, but have that really strong planning element to it where you sanity check what you do and you say, well, actually, can I achieve this in the amount of time that I'm you know, allowing myself? Because otherwise it's really demoralizing. Additionally, I would say building quite a big chunk of redundancy to whatever you plan to do, because being part of the military means that things are always in flux. You know, you get thrown curveballs all the time. And if you plan your diary and the amount of work to fit in the amount of time you've got available, you've got nothing to offer when it comes to dealing with those curveballs. Another tip I would say is to combat the isolation is find a group of people that are doing similar things to what you're doing and be alive to the fact that you can, as your own boss, change your calendar to suit your kind of season of life and what's going on. So I say my husband was deployed, he would go away an awful lot. I would not go out in the evening, but when my kids were at nursery and that was work time in inverted commas, I would actually plan in on some of the days social activities because I knew that I wouldn't be able to go out at night because unless I got a babysitter because it was just me. So instead I would just move my calendar around and I'd go out in the morning and meet up for someone for a social coffee, but then I would work in the evening to make up that time. So it's just about being a little bit flexible with what you're doing, but also giving yourself a bit of grace and lowering your expectations of what you can actually achieve so that you don't end up in this kind of anxious mess where you feel like you're not getting anywhere and you become really disheartened and that leads to you not wanting to carry on because you don't see the progress you wanted to see because the progress that you'd given yourself to achieve wasn't realistic in the first place. Yeah, have you ever got to that point though? So the planning hasn't quite gone to the way it's meant to go and have you ever just wanted to give it all up? 
Well, I think by the fact that they were my tips, you can probably deduce <laughs> that that has happened on more than one occasion. <laughs> um, and I'm quite, you know, quite happy to be open about that because it's, you know, I think it's important to be real with people when you're saying this, this could be something that works for you to share, share your knowledge and do that whole, again, it's a very Air Force thing to do. Like my old job, even when you'd done a really great job, you would go and debrief and you'd rip apart everything you did and you say, okay, well, I did that. I made this decision because of this. That was a bad decision. Next time I would do this instead. No matter how well the sortie had gone, that's what you would do. And that is something that I still do as a business owner. And I look at things and say, well, what did I do wrong? And what can other people learn from that? And what can I not do again? because of that. And there were points where I was trying to be like the most amazing business person. And if like there was a typo in my Twitter tweets that I'd, I'd, prog- I'd programmed in at night because it was late and I'd done, you know, I put a typo in it. I'd be like, oh, you know, th- I can't put this stuff out. It doesn't look very professional and like, bouncing around trying to be all the things to your your children and everything else and over scheduling the world and over controlling everything. And it does, it makes you quite anxious. And you just think there's so much of this that I have no control over. And stripping it back from doing that and overworking and trying to over control everything to somehow prove to myself that I'm, I'm good enough to do it was a big kind of wake up call for me because it, it got to the point where I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do it. I'm not good enough. I've got no confidence. Like I'm, I'm cocking everything up. Like I can't keep all of these plates in the air. Uh, and there was a point um, just before, a couple of years ago, just before my husband got back, he was deployed um, and he got just before he got back and I got really ill in bed. And I mean, sick to the point where I could... I lived at number four and the doctors was at number one and I could hardly work, walk to the doctors so I couldn't breathe properly. Um, and I got this hideous virus and it wasn't a chest infection and they didn't know what it was and I was in bed fully for two weeks. And my friend jokes about it because I had this little kind of Queen Anne chair in my bedroom and she, she sat on it and she said, it's a consumption chair. She said, I feel like you're dying of consumption. Um, and I felt like I was dying of consumption. And I, I, I was really sick. And it's because I'd just hammered everything so long that... I'd completely burned out. And then who who picks up the pieces? There's no one there to do that. So as a result of that, I learned that I did need to lower my expectations of myself, lower my expectations of my business, lower my expectations of my children, lower my expectations of what I could get done. And once I kind of reset and came back to it, I realized that if you have realistic expectations, you get that positive feedback loop all the time and you make progress against what you're setting yourself. And actually, because you're making progress and you've got that momentum, you end up doing more. Whereas when you're always feeling bad that you've always got this massive to-do list and you can't get through it, and actually all you do is make yourself ill and then nothing gets done, and which is worse out of those two. So... There's definitely been times where I've gone, you know, if it all, I've had enough, I'm done. And the big lesson I learned when you feel like that, when you get that, I don't want to do this anymore. This is terrible. I hate it. I would do anything other than be doing what I'm doing now. Go to bed, right? Just go to bed. Because when you feel like that and the itty bitty committee in your head starts going on about, who are you to do this? You don't know anything. Their website is so shiny. Their teeth are much shinier than yours. How does she get her hair like that? Instagram, you know, ah, oh, and you get that whole thing going on in your head. It's because you're tired. It is because you are tired and the best thing you can do is ignore it and go to bed and leave everything. And the next morning it is always better than what it was then. And um, I just tend to tune in a lot more now to the voices that you hear and the, the feedback that you're hearing and what you're picking up on and focusing on. And if it is something really negative like that, I know it's because I'm tired and I just go to bed. So not sure if that answered your question. <laughs> 
No, it's so transpiring. <laughs> no, it's true. I think that as well, because I um, I like to dream big. But if you're constantly over and over again, sort of feeling like you're failing, then you forget all the big, exciting things and you forget to celebrate the little achievements that you've made. Um, but no, I agree with the, the going to bed thing. I often have a little afternoon snooze. I read a quote once that said that you've got to treat yourself like a toddler. So you eat well, um, you know, tell people what you think and um, make sure you have nice snooze and get lots of sleep, which I live by now I do love an afternoon sneeze um but it's not all negative there's lots of highs and lows in running business um what would you say have been like your big successes that you've celebrated um definitely winning awards for a podcast that was just like something I did in my bedroom that's about knitting that young people don't do knitting anymore do they you know and it's a bit of a joke and to other people not to us knitters obviously we take it seriously knitters with a capital K and it's actually a really big industry and a lot of people just don't realize this anymore. So to kind of come to a big award ceremony and go up against people who've got hardcore like personal finance or language podcasts or business and marketing podcasts who are all in my head are all proper, you know, they're all there with the suits on and they've got everything dead shiny and someone's built their website and, you know, they obviously know what they're doing and I just blagged it in some room in Africa to get this thing up and running. Don't never knew what I was doing, never trained in it, just Googled the living daylights out of things and asked questions and got there anyway. Um to go there and win awards and like win the most engaged audience and then win the best UK podcast of twenty sixteen was pretty amazing, like for a knitting podcast. And the second year everyone was frightened because the knitting people had cleared up the year before. There was um, another friend of mine who podcasts from London had won another award. So everyone was like, Oh no, the knitters are here and we kind of, you know, rock star in like the mob basically. But that was really good because I had started from nothing and I hadn't had any training and I hadn't had a plan and I'd just kind of gone and done it with no expectation of what I needed to achieve or what was good enough or anything. I'd just gone and tried stuff and experimented and got things wrong and got obviously quite a bit of it right. Um, but because I wasn't frightened of going doing it, I'd been able to achieve something that ended up leading to like articles in The Guardian and teaching podcasting on really big platforms for people who run by people that I really admire. Um, all this stuff just kind of came about because I wasn't frightened to go in and try something, even if it went wrong. It, the fact that it might go wrong didn't even cross my mind, to be honest. I just blagged it and thought, well, you know, crack on <laughs> and we'll see what happens. So... I think that's probably my my favourite thing that has happened as a result of starting the podcast. Do you think, so I have this theory that because I can send my husband to the deepest, darkest parts of the world where somebody might try to kill him, that actually, in reality, building a business and taking these leaps of faith and sort of, you know, Googling it and winging it and hoping for the best, um, when it goes wrong, it's actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad, but actually in the whole big scheme of things, nobody's got shot at today. So actually, it's not that bad. Do you think your background coming from that sort of military world where the worst could happen means that you've got a different perspective on business? I don't know if I could say it's a different perspective on business as a result of that, um, as a broad brush kind of statement. But I very often say, oh, well, nobody died <laughs> when something goes wrong. And given my previous job where I was controlling aircraft every day or, you know, managing airspace over Afghanistan or whatever else, where actually if I did cock it up too badly, people were going to die. Like, it's very hard to for me as a, a business owner now where no one is going to die really if I cock it up. 
not to kind of be chilled about it and go, well, you know, nobody's going to die. But I definitely think the being able to deal with whatever rolls your way, like no plan survives the first contact and all that kind of stuff that I learned as part of military life has really helped because when something happens in the business, it's just like, oh, well, like, so, so what? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? Um, how do we fix it? And I definitely find that having a very strategic mindset about things and where I fit into the bigger picture, which is probably a battle management thing rather than a, necessarily a, an Air Force thing, it has really helped. And actually, a lot of what I do in my consultancy now is helping people see the bigger picture and helping them plan strategically what they're going to do with their business, because that's a skill that I have as a result of my military training. So... And where do you see yourself going? Where's the future for Shiny Bees? Moving again, obviously, because <laughs> I love it. I have this joke that uh, whenever the insides of my windows get dirty, I move house. And I've cleaned the insides of this uh, window once already. So <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got big plans. I've got things that I'd like to achieve, but I haven't got massively specific things that I'm going for at the moment. I'm building a multi-vendor website at the moment, which is like not on the high street, if you're not familiar with the lingo, where I'm bringing together a lot of people who sell hand-dyed yarns onto one platform to help them sell more yarn and help people find the yarns that they want to find. And I'm the kind of person in the middle of the party. You might have picked up a lot to be the person in the middle of the party, bringing everyone together through things that I've done before. So that's what I'm building at the moment. And I have got plans to build next year a education hub for knitting and again, bringing people together and helping them to learn new skills and all that kind of thing. And I feel like in the time since I've started, I've been running my business for five years now, that I'm less concerned about the detail of what's going to happen and more open to looking at opportunities that come along and how best to look after my audience and create things that they're going to like that also support what I'm going to do. Because obviously you don't want a business that runs you. That's not the point. Um, So I have like those in the knitting kind of area. And I've also as long with my consultancy that I've done through the whole time, um, looking now at creating more opportunities to teach women in particular how to podcast and how to get their voice out there in the world in whatever field they are doing it. Because I think it's really important. And the amazing thing about the internet is it's very democratized these days. And you can you can be me, you can sit in your, your little room in Africa with your wide area network internet that costs you 20 quid for two gig and you can make an audio program and you can put it out and people all over the world can listen to that. That is super powerful. And I feel like we need more female voices out there. We need to hear more diverse voices. And this is a time where people can do it very easily from their phones. And I want to encourage people who are maybe scared of the tech uh, to do that because you know, if I'd been frightened of the tech, I never would have done it. And I never would have had this experience that I've had. So that's my kind of, that's my passion project. And I'm, I'm building the the knitting alongside that. Oh, definitely. You should do it. You need to do it. Because that's, the, well, the major reason why I started this podcast series is that I met you at Carrie Green's, one of Carrie Green's events, uh, which was lovely to meet you. And then you did a bundle for her and you taught me through the step-by-step process of how to do a podcast series. And um, that's why I'm interviewing you because I have admired you from afar. Then I got to meet you in real life um and now i'm interviewing you so actually it's all your fault that we are here and um i might have to blame you and amy nolan equally for the entire independent spouse series um so yeah do that because we do need to hear more female voices and um i'm excited about it and i may be um joining you in your course to get a little bit of help mm, you definitely should and it was a delight to meet you in person i have to say <laughs> 
<laughs> thanks. It was lovely. It was great. Yeah, I had a bit of fangirl moment. Um, anyway, so <laughs> at the end, I always ask my guests a few quick fire questions. Um, it's just interesting to see what the answers are. We can compare them and it just lets me get to know them a little bit better. Okay, number one, who would you most like to hear from on the Independent Spouse podcast? This is a really good question because like you think of people you want to hear of and then you're like, well, would they be on the Independent Spouse podcast necessarily? I would like, going on a tangent completely, I would like to hear from Prince Harry. Good answer. Just because I think he's quite a good lad and I think he would have some good banter and I think he would, he's quite real. I would like to hear some of his kind of wisdom on life really. I know he's not technically an independent space, but, you know, he does have a connection there, so... Well, maybe he could bring Megan along. He could, yeah. They could both be on it. I like to think big. I have mentioned this. Mm, You should. Go ask him. Go, just email him. Be easy. Yeah, just email him. (laughs) Um, The second one is, what's the most courageous thing you have done as a business owner? Um, Wow, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't... Honestly, like, I don't feel like I've ever done anything... This is probably a good lesson for me. Thank you, Jess. I don't feel like I've ever done anything where I've had to really kind of hold my nose and jump in and, and be really brave about something necessarily. It's all, it's nothing has phased me with what I've done, which suggests to me that I should probably look for something bigger and more scary to do for 2019. Yeah, you should do that. Don't come and blame me though. I'm totally going to blame you in my acceptance speech for the Oscars or whatever, you know, equivalent. But it is like, if you can't think of something, then you've got to ask yourself why and are you doing big enough things if you haven't done something that's really frightened you? Yeah, time to do something big. Hmm. Yeah, do it. I look forward to watching that from a distance. (laughs) A safe distance, possibly with some protective equipment on. (laughs) No, it'll be good. Um, The very last one, um, of the quick five questions is if you could go back in time to when you first started what would be the one thing that you would tell yourself that you don't need a guru you don't need someone else's answers someone doesn't have to have necessarily done it before you and actually if you quieten the noise from the outside of people telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing and what they think and listen to what you are seeing on the inside and your internal kind of ideas the answer's always there. You just might not be hearing it because you're too busy listening to everyone else. So quieten the noise and listen to your internal ideas. And then that's always going to see you right. Because if you're trying to follow everyone else's stuff, you're not necessarily being true to what you think in your own mind. Jamie mine. I have loved talking to you. Um, I obviously need to take up knitting. Obviously. That's clearly the way to achieve lots of um, awards and podcasts, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll start that. If I want to find you, if I want to listen to your podcast or um, find out more about you, how can I find you? So the best place to come find me is on my website at shinybees.com. And all of the social handles around that are at Shiny Bees, basically. Um, that is my knitting focused website. And my podcasting stuff is all going to be over at charttoppingpodcast.com. So, yeah, if you're interested in the podcasting side of things, I would go over there. Joe, it's been so good to talk to you. I was a little bit nervous because obviously, you know, you're quite a, like a grown up proper professional podcasting type. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, but actually it's been brilliant to hear your story because I know that, um, that you've been where I've been and that actually I can, I can grow it too and I can do it. So thank you so much for spending time talking to me. It's been brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me on, Jess. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it and it has inspired you. 
please subscribe so that you can have access to each episode as soon as it's released. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found me. It really helps spread the word so that more lovely people like you can listen to the episodes. Thank you so much for listening along. Um, I'll be back soon with another inspiring episode. See you then.